Welcome to UK Rail Journeys, Series 1. In this series, I travel to North West Wales with the Steam Dreams Rail Company on their Welsh Dragon Tour. Episode 12. It's a beautiful afternoon and I'm taking a boat trip to Puffin Island. This may be a lovely spot to visit, but it's not a place for a seaside holiday. It's got a very stony beach. And what's more, there's not much of the beach. There are plenty of boats in the bay, but I would imagine that the sailing is very good. Although I believe that there are rip currents quite often out there in the strait. I can see a rib speeding fast, doing circles, doing figures of eights. Probably the one that's advertised on the beach for rib trips. Of course, everywhere you go, the seagulls are swooping. Oh, I think that was one or two of them arguing about who was going to sit on the lifeboat station roof. Well, we're now at the end of the pier, waiting for our boat. But first, some life jacket-clad people going off in the high-speed rib for an adventure of figures of eights and various other things around the strait. It's now a beautiful afternoon with a nice breeze. I'm your skipper for today and on the deck is my pal Ed. Now Ed's there to look after you. Any questions, any queries, any concerns, anything at all, half a word to Ed, and he'll only be too pleased to look after you. But I bet your family comes and asks me. As we leave the pier, folks, I have a mandatory safety announcement I must make, which goes as follows. The peri flows through this vessel, those are the orange rings there up on the cabin roof. The firefighting appliances and all the life jackets are in the cabin with us. Also in the cabin, the controls to the fire extinguishing system within the engine room. And right on the stern there, the big white rectangular box houses a 65-man inflatable life raft. And in the unlikely event of an emergency, all its apparatus will be made available and specific instructions will be given to you. Tamvais is the smallest and oldest settlement on this coast of Anglesey and it's documented as being the first ever ferry crossing point of the Menai Straits. Extremely busy during the days of the coach and horses, particularly the Irish mail coaches that left London for Holyhead. The overnight stop to Chester, Tangorshen or Better Sequoia before making their way down the Conway Valley to Pemmermouth, which is that flat top mountain you can see alongside it. Tamvais in those days, a church, a blacksmith shop, and a handful of houses. Overnight stops, they were at the Bull's Head Hotel in Beaumaris, and the first post office on Anglesey is now the Liverpool Arms Hotel. This factory was built here during the war for Saunders Row. Now, Saunders Row were an aircraft company based at the Isle of Wight, specialising in the manufacture and maintenance of flying boats or seaplanes. 
When the war broke out, there was a distinct shortage of uh, aeroplanes, particularly flying boats. Saunders Row couldn't keep up with the demand, so the government decided they purchased some from America. Catalina flying boats is what they bought. They loaded them onto cargo vessels. Unfortunately, the German U-boats were sinking all our ships. We lost an awful lot of very brave men, and of course the cargoes as well. So they had to come up with a plan B, and that was to fly these aeroplanes across. But the Americans said it wasn't possible, but they were quite happy to take them as far as Canada. In Canada, they were fitted with long-range fuel tanks, and it was Canadian pilots who flew them the three and a half thousand miles across the Atlantic to land on the Menai Straits where we are at the moment. And for the people of my age, I'm sure you remember a chap called Huey Green. He was one of the pilots that flew these aeroplanes across. But not long after the war began, they invented the radar. And this was the first aeroplane in the world to be fitted with radar. And it was a small unit invented by a chap called Bernard Lovell, later to become Sir Bernard Lovell, who built the radio telescope at Jodrell Bank in Cheshire. Once the radar was fitted, it changed the capabilities of the aeroplane completely, because now at night, when the submarines surfaced to run their diesel engines to charge their batteries, they were picked up on the radar screen and destroyed. The Snowdonia mountain range is on the other side. It's just starting to come from behind the mist. And I don't know if you can see as far down as the Great Orm's Head, right on the end. That's where the holiday resort of Clandidno is. This flat top mountain is Penmine Mound, second largest granite quarry in Europe, exporting roadstone and ballast to go up the railway lines. They were stopped when they were building the A55 expressway for fear of stones rolling into the carriageway. So they started digging on the other side of the hill, and after about another four or five years, there was a total prohibition put on quarrying by the Snowdonia National Park. And directly alongside us there, on the right, is the valley of Aberguin Gregging, and up there is Aber Falls, one of the most easy accessible waterfalls in North Wales. Puffin Island is located at the northeast entrance of the Menai Strait and is the ninth largest island off the Welsh coast. The island was once home to the 6th century saint St. Cyriol, whose monastery is still visible on the top of the island today. Puffin Island is now a bird sanctuary and a nesting site for many species of breeding seabirds. The main season is between April and July. So, as we're visiting in early September, we've missed that. At the time of the main season, between April and July, you're likely to see common guillemots, razorbills, kittiwakes, and of course, puffins. Fulmer and eider duck also breed on the island, and the odd black guillemot is often spotted in the area as well. Other species, such as cormorant and shags, are on the island all year as are Atlantic grey seals. Sometimes you may even see a porpoise or dolphin. A black and white frontier building with passing right on the water's edge is the old Bremen lifeboat station. Now that was closed in 1914 and converted into a house when the first ever motorised lifeboat put into service by the RNLI 
was put in a boat house at Paul Maris. It was called the Frederick Kitchener. But in 1990, Bomaris Offshore Lifeboat Station, that was closed down and demolished when fast lifeboats were put into service at Landino and at Moira. Now, when we go way down this side of the island, folks, and this side of the island is predominantly the Cormorant colony. It is, in fact, the largest colony of Cormorants in North Wales. There's herring girls on here and also the blackback girl. Now, you'll find them either on the boulders at the bottom or right on the top of the island. They're the largest of the gull family. Very aggressive seabird indeed. Pilfering the nests of eggs and young birds. And as they leave the island, they bounce on them on the rocks. I'll pluck them out the sky and kill them and eat them. On the end of the island, you'll see the ruin of the old telegraph station. Now, there was a chain of these all the way from Holyhead to Liverpool. Each one had a big mast in front of it with two arms on it, like a signal on the railway line. Different positions of the arm signified a letter, and that's how they telegraphed the names of the cotton boats from T-Clippers up to Liverpool. There was 11 of these stations altogether, and they were owned by the Liverpool and North Wales Telegraph Company. They opened in 1763, and when they opened, they put literature around the coast to all the shipping companies in, and their agents, in which they professed they could telegraph a good sentence, the time and the date. They passed South Stack, the name of the ship, its course, and its speed. And they could relay that uh, information via these visual signaling stations from South Stack, Hollyhead, over 186 miles of coastline to the liver buildings in Liverpool, on average, 63 seconds. First of the seals on the rocks there on the left-hand side, folks, Atlantic Ray Seals, those are. The television programme Coast got involved in doing documentary on the telegraph stations because they were fascinated with the 63 seconds. They thought it was going to be difficult to prove, but it turned out that it was quite easy because the paperwork in those days was so meticulous, all they had to do was go into the archives, trace back from station to station, do the arithmetic, and sure enough, 63 seconds was the, the average time. By the time the ships docked at Liverpool, the cargoes had already been auctioned, and they commanded the highest prices. At low water on the rocks down here, there's between 40 and 60 seals but during the mating period, which is February into March, there's on average 120 or so, maybe more, on the rocks here, and double that mount on the Pebble Beach at the other end of the island. The seals are born end of September through October into November. And when they're born, they weigh on average two and a half to three kilograms. Can everybody see the seals okay? And they only stay with their parents for three weeks. And in that short period of time, they reckon they treble their body weight on a daily basis. So when they're forced away at the end of three weeks, they weigh on average 30 to 35 kilograms. Now in 1860, that telegraph station was closed down because a chap called Marconi had invented the radio. Ship to shore radios came into being, self-explanatory really. Radio on the ship, radio on the shore, the language they used in those days because they communicated directly was Morse code. These places weren't required. Now these ledges and rock faces 
all covered in guano, all right down to where the rock changes from grey to black. That's where all the kitueks were. As herring goes up on the grass bank, along with Canada geese, grey lag geese, there was eider ducks, shell ducks, blackback gulls, herring gulls, cormorants, shags, lapwing, sandpiper, curlew, oyster catchers, razor bills and guillemots, and of course a puffin. Little bird that lays its eggs underground, out of sight to predators. And in the case of Puffin Island here, they squeeze themselves into these gaps you see in, in the rocks in the cliff face. But about three years ago, rabbits suddenly appeared on the island here. And nobody knows how they got here, but they certainly did not swim, that's a fact. And it's helped the puffin population quite considerably, because puffins and rabbits, they live in harmony. They cohabitate because the rabbit takes the burrow, the puffin then sneaks in, scratches a place for itself inside the burrow to bring up its youngster. And it defends the nest quite fiercely. And that benefits the rabbit as well because while it's looking after its own young, it prevents the predators going down and attacking the young rabbits. Up in the center of the island there is the ruin of the tower of the old monastery. That's a sixth century structure that was built there by a chap called Serial, the same fellow who built Priory at Penman, but it's now looked after by cattle, the people that look after the castle. But not only are the seabirds on here, there are nine species of other birds that nest in the bushes and trees and in the tower of the monastery, making this a very prestigious sanctuary. Now upon the big ledges alongside us here, folks, is where the Fulmer nests. Member of the albatross family, the Fulmer, only comes to the island to breed. All the other ledges there had kittiwakes on them. And it used to be the only kittiwake colony on the island. But 40 years ago this September, after all the birds had flown, they came on here with two ton of rat poison. This place was infested thousands of rats. You can see them running all along the ledges, right down to the water's edge in places. And the size of some of them, I swear you could have thrown a saddle on them. But fortunately, they've eradicated all the rats. Since then, there's been a population explosion of all the bird species, and they now range from one end of the island to the other. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that the fulmer is one of the longest living seabirds. Average age of a fulmer, 65 years old, and have been known to exceed 75 and even 85 years old. Razorbills 25, Gillymots 35, and the Puffin in excess of 45 years old. And when you appreciate the only time these birds are ever on dry land is during the breeding season when they're bringing up their young for them. A couple of three months of the spring and summer. The rest of the time they stay out at sea. They stay afloat up in the far north Atlantic in the proximity of Iceland, Greenland, the Faroe Islands. And when you factor in the severe Arctic gales and sub-zero temperatures and the mountainous seas these birds live through, it's quite amazing really that they can live for so long. Priestholm was the original name of this island and all the maps in charge of the area. And it's Serial in Welsh. <laughs> after the monk who built his sanctuary on the island of the Priory of Pemmon. But Puffin Island, that's the name that stuck. After the little bird that spent just a couple of months here, 
building this summer. And Pemmon Lightboat Station, we're passing here, folks, used to house the 36-foot pulling and sailing lifeboat. It had six men on the oars, coxswain on the helm, and assisted by sail. They launched from here in some ferocious weather to preserve life from shipwrecks. So, even though it's an absolutely beautiful afternoon, nice and warm as we're making our way back now from Puffin Island, the mainland is still shrouded in mist. Something mysterious about this part of the northwest Wales coast. I hope you've enjoyed the trip. If you have, please tell everyone we're here. The Island Princess at the Star Reader Booking Kiosk on Bowmarish. Ask him to ask for the Island Princess by name. Thank you. Most important of all now, folks, please remain seated till we're safely on the pier. I'll let you know when it's time to disembark. So, we're waiting in Bumaris, in the high street. The coach is here. Everyone got on about 10 minutes ago, but one passenger is missing. Where is our mystery passenger? We can't wait here much longer. Everyone wants to get back. And anyhow, the driver's not supposed to stay here for very long. I wonder if we'll be leaving somebody behind. We're on our way again. The person who was lost has been found. Oh, the visibility's that good at the moment. If you look over to your left, approximately 10 o'clock, and you'll see a little pyramid. That's the summit of Snowdon. Some of you are possibly going up Snowdon tomorrow morning. It is absolutely beautiful at the moment. The tide is out. There's an awful lot of mud. Some of the islands are surrounded by mud. Of course, when the tide comes back in, there'll be water again. But for the moment, just brown mud. I was trying to explain earlier, originally it was a drain tunnel. When they modernized and strengthened, they decided to put the uh, road bridge over the top because the Britannia bridge was getting a bit narrow for some of the larger vehicles the little house in the middle of the estuary. That is the old kind of fishery. It's an unusual mechanism which lets the water in and the fish, but when the water drains out, it traps the fish, and hence what the house is basically there for. It used to catch the fish and then sell it to the locals. Sounds like it's cheating. And now we're just going on to the A55. And again, just as we get on, What's he stopping there for? Off to your left is the view you would have had earlier on this morning. Just trying to see if we can see the great hall. Bit too much haze. This podcast has been produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio. 
I thank the passengers and the teams from Steam Dreams and West Coast Railways for making this podcast possible. Join me in a couple of weeks for the next episode. And thank you very much for listening.